Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. Well, good morning, Highland Baptist. It's uh, good to be back at, well, I, at a place that I will always say is my church home. I grew up here. I see so many faces out there that were part of my path to accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was a child and through youth group and so many good times here. And uh, I'm just glad to be here today to speak to you a little bit about um, the St. Albans Food Pantry. Again, my name is Beth Sturgill, Shirley's daughter-in-law. And... Um, my mom, Myrtle Keeler, attended this church many, many years and uh, loved it dearly, as so did my father-in-law. So uh, thank you for having me today. And I just want to tell you a little bit about the food pantry and some of the services that they offer, some things that I wasn't even aware of when I began um, volunteering with them. And so the food pantry is located, if you're not aware, down on B Street, 405 B Street at the St. Mark's Episcopal Church, and it's around back. It's open every Tuesday and Thursday from 8.30 to 10.30. So if you know of somebody who is in need of food, they can go there and um, they will see that they get everything they need before they walk out of there that day. And if they can't make it on a Tuesday or a Thursday, there's a number that they can call to make an appointment, and one of the volunteers will meet them there to, to meet their needs. So who are some of the people we serve through the food pantry? We serve a lot of grandparents who are on a fixed income and that are raising grandchildren. As an educator over the past, I don't know, five to seven years, I've seen a huge increase in grandparents raising grandchildren, and they need all the support that they can get from the community. We serve single parents who might be out of work or working on minimum wage, trying to make ends meet for their family and their children's uh, we, children. We serve people who are mentally challenged. We serve seniors who are alone and on a small income that they have to try to make it by on each month. We serve the physically challenged and parents who just maybe are working but just trying to make ends meet from paycheck to paycheck and need that little extra help to do so. We serve individuals with mental health issues trying to survive and even just your basic working family. So we offer services to anyone, no matter what, that would happen to be in need. We offer a variety of services, and our goal is just to help with basic needs. First, we help with food, and that's the main thing of the pantry. We help with clothing. We recently had a young lady come in, and she was excited because um, she had applied for a job and had an interview, and she was telling the volunteers about it, but she said, you know, I don't know what I'm going to wear. And so they took her over to where the clothes were, and they picked out, picked out a really nice outfit, and she was thrilled to be leaving there with a nice outfit for her job interview. 
Um, we serve, we give out personal hygiene items, and that's something we hope to increase even after the holidays. Um, we give out toothpaste and toothbrushes. We have just started a new program with free eye exams. The West Virginia Eye Care Program with Dr. Heath here in St. Albans has partnered with the food pantry, and people can go to the food pantry, fill out an application. The people at the pantry help them make an appointment right away. They can go over and get a free eye exam and free glasses. No charge to them whatsoever. And recently, a couple of really great stories have come out of that. One gentleman went over, and they found that he had glaucoma. And so they were able to send him on to see a doctor in Charleston to get his needs met. And then Alan Rezik, who um, is over the food pantry, called me this week and said that there was a gentleman that comes into the pantry frequently, and he said that, you know, his vision was just getting worse and worse, and he was wearing readers. He loves to read, and you even have to use a magnifying glass. So they got him an appointment over at, with Dr. Heath, and they discovered he had cataracts. And he had cataract surgery in Charleston, and he came back to the food pantry and just thanked them and thanked them because now his vision is 100% better, and he's so excited to be able to read so well again. Um, we also, also work with the St. Albans Ministerial Association to provide utility assistance for people who need it. We do health checks. Just a few weeks ago at Christ Kitchen, they gave out 44 COVID booster shots to people that wanted them, and we provide household items as needed. We also try to provide a few moments of happiness during the holidays with holiday dinners and even a visit from Santa. I know Highland Baptist Church is extremely involved in providing Christmas baskets. You all have done that for years, and that runs through the pantry. They give you the list of items to put in the basket, so thank you for your support of that. Um, on December 2nd, there's going to be a spaghetti dinner at Christ's Kitchen from 5 to 7. The tickets are $10. Three children, three and under, go in and eat free, but the money for that is to be raised for Christ's Kitchen, who feeds meals daily uh, Monday, I believe Monday through Friday, um, to anybody that comes in around 11.30 each day. We work with others in the community as well. We participate in the coordination of the Community Christmas Basket Program, which I just mentioned. We act as a referral center to other church assistant programs. There's lots of churches in our community who offer different services. We provide food to other support agencies such as the Jericho House. Many of you are probably familiar with the Jericho House. Frida Cutlip, Cutlip ran that for years. Um, it was closed down for a while and it's been reopened and we have four ladies living there now. Um, if you ever want to support the Jericho House in any way, they always can use toiletry items, uh, toilet paper, paper towels, trash bags, those kind of things. And so lots of great things that we do through the St. Albans Food Pantry and Christ Kitchen in coordination with churches and other community agencies. But our financial support is only community-based from churches, individuals, businesses, 
as well as the school food drives and other, other people interested in the program. Our current food needs are spaghetti sauce, ramen noodles, peanut butter and pork and beans, and cereal. Those seem to be the items we're running low on right now. Without people like you, and I know Highland Baptist is such a giving, giving church, um, we couldn't do what we do at the pantry. So we want to thank you in advance for all the help you provide. And I want to close with this passage from Matthew, and I believe you may hear it again today, but well-known words speaking by Christ. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous man will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Thank you all again for everything you do, and I love you, Highland Baptist. If you want to go ahead and take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Now, we've been talking for several Sundays about, well, since this is Missions Month, we've been talking about missions and our ministry and the way that our ministry impacts the lives of those around us. Today, we're going to be bringing all those messages together and talking about the response that God has to churches that are faithful in enduring their, in engaging their ministry. What is the mission statement of Highland Baptist Church? To know Christ and to make Christ known. What is our discipleship pathway? To love God, share His Word, love others, and spread the gospel. This is how we accomplish that, both within our church and within our community. And just to kind of recap, what we're doing is we're focusing on the way that we fulfill Christ's Three great commandments that he identifies in Scripture. The first two he quotes from the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your, your might. Love your neighbor as your... And he links those two together. The second is like unto it. And he also says that all of the Scriptures hang on those two commandments. But then in the upper room, as he is washing the feet of his servants... He gives them a third great commandment, that you love one another, just, just as I have loved you. That same self-sacrificial agape love, which did not hold Christ back from the cross, but sent him to the crucifixion on our behalf. That same love that he demonstrates for you, he expects of that from his church in celebration of each other. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love one another as I have loved you. And they will know 
commandment with a promise. They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. The people outside of the church will recognize you as Christian, as Christ-like, as the people of God, as a people of a difference, as living miracles, if you love one another and they see it happen. How do we accomplish that? The three prior messages have been about showing love to the community, loving thy neighbor as thyself, loving Christ through loving others. We call that missions, which is the church's ministry to a fallen world, the church's ministry in being the hands and feet of Christ in offering mercy. There is the ministry of evangelism, our ministry to the lost specifically, where we, as Peter commands us in, in Peter chapter 3, verse 16, not a coincidence, where he tells us to be always ready to give an account of the hope that is within us. When someone asks you what makes you different after they've experienced God's love, do you know what to say? It's not what makes me different, it's who makes me different. And I'm so glad you asked. Let me introduce you. What a marvelous opportunity. And of course, there is demonstrating the, his love. Our ministry to each other through fellowship, through discipleship, through hard love, and through the generosity of exchanging grace to each other. The church's ministry to the people of God. There's another ministry. Well, we've been talking about outreach, but this talks about inreach too. Our ministry to God, our ministry of loving God through worship. And it's so odd how there's a creative tension between the four ministries that make up a local church. Without any one of these four ministries, you are not a church, you're a parachurch organization. But the four basic ministries of the local church is to love God by ministering to Him through worship, to love the members within the body of Christ by discipling them, having fellowship with them, and instructing them in the way of righteousness. And it's odd how those two tend to be in conflict with each other as far as where the resources and the time goes. But if you're all about worship and have no discipleship, you have shallow roots. And like Jesus proclaims, if you have shallow roots, you dry up and you blow away. Versus if you're all about discipleship without worship, you grow stale, you grow cold, you grow unloving, you grow more academic than anything else. Then you've got missions versus evangelism for some crazy reason. Our ministry to a world in a fallen shape versus our ministry to the lost. It's not one or the other, it has to be both. And there's a tension there. Well, do we show mercy? How can you show mercy without proclaiming the God who is the source of mercy? It can't be one versus the other, it has to be both. And I think that's the reason why that creative tension exists, so that we can keep them all in balance. But as we continue on, marching towards next year, for those of you who are the elected leaders of the church, I need you to pay attention to this ministry because this is, I believe, God's vision for us as Highland Baptist Church, as the local manifestation of the Bride of Christ. This is the vision for us in the coming year. And as the leaders of the church, God is effectively handing you the jigsaw puzzle. For those of you with the gift of administration, it's now our job to take the pieces and put it together. So how do we love God? How do we show mercy? How do we love each other? How do we spread the gospel? How do we know Christ and make Christ known? 
This is part of what Jesus describes as far as outreach is concerned, which is going to be the topic of today's message. So Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 31. Once you get there, say amen. Amen. Jesus tells to his disciples, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And the nations will gather before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king, who's the king? That shouldn't be a question for Christians that goes unanswered. Who is our king? Christ. Jesus. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And in this passage, underline this in your copy of God's word and in either the flyleaf or the partition, the, the, the space on the sides, write, symptoms of a Christian. Symptoms of a Christian. This is how Jesus identifies who is in possession of the Holy Spirit of God, who has had a salvific experience. That old pastor's joke, if, if, you were convic- if you were brought to court for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? This is that evidence. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? God of this universe, when did I see you a pauper or sick? Prince of all creation, when were you ever under these circumstances? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Isn't it interesting? He who sits on the very throne of creation itself. He doesn't identify with kings here. He doesn't identify with the proud, with the haughty, with the mighty. He doesn't identify with the rich or the powerful or those clothed in splendor as he is. He doesn't identify with any of those. Who does he identify with? He identifies with the least, with the marginalized, with the hungry, with the poor. He identifies with the hurting, with the sick, with the afflicted. He who is entitled to everything that exists sets his identity with the very least. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. This is the warning. This is the uh, identifying marks for those who claim to be Christians and are not. For those who are, are trusting in their church attendance, maybe, or trusting in their church membership for their salvation before God. Hear the voice of Christ. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. 
you who are accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And in the other gospels, they even say, did we not raise miracles in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not have all these things that look showy on the outside in your name? And he answers the same thing here. He will reply, truly, I tell you, whenever you did not do one of these for the least of these, you did not do it for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. There is a tandem in scripture here that we're going to see in just a minute. Write this down in your notes. There is a tandem relationship between your engagement as an individual Christian and your engagement in the ministry of the local church. Let me say that one more time. There is a tandem relationship between who you are individually in your own personal ministry because through the Bible we are a priesthood of all believers. You are a peculiar people called out from the many to be one. But all of you are a priest of the Most High God. There's a tandem relationship between your own personal ministry and your ministry here in the local church. This is going over our commitment to outreach. And this is how God honors that. From the book of Acts. This is how the apostles were taking Jesus' teaching and putting it into practice. Now Peter ever the, the vigilant speaker that he was, has just had the most drastic change of his entire life. Open mouth, in foot, ready, fire, aim, Peter. Has just given the sermon of his life on the temple steps. The place where just a few weeks ago, he heard the Pharisees rev up the crowd to go out to Golgotha to go out in front of Pontius Pilate to tell them what to say. Let his blood be on us and our children. Crucify him. He was in hostile territory, and yet he preaches this convicting sermon that says all those weeks ago, <coughs> he crucified the wrong man. But God had this in mind. Why? Because he knew a sacrifice had to be given to atone for our sins. He knew that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Therefore, he sent the truest, the best, the most pure, the most holy, to pay not just once and occasionally for you, but to pay for your soul for all time to come. And Peter has preached this convicting message. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear what else the Bible records. When the people heard his message... They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what then shall we do? Now we've talked about this. This is the crowd asking the reason for hope. And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins, we would call that the ministry of? It's, it's in parentheses. Evangelism. Thank you, gold star. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promise for you and your children and for all those who are far off from for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he also warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. We would call that the prophetic ministry of the church, otherwise known as the discipleship. Those who accepted his message were baptized in how many? About 3,000 were added to their number that very day. Boy, I'd like to be involved in an invitation like that. One sermon, 3,000 people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Underline this in your copy of God's Word or make a reference of it in the flyleaf of your Bible. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We would call that loyalty to the local church. How often did they do that? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders, the signs and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's their showing love to others. That's the ministry of mish-uns. Okay, we got that. Note that the signs and wonders generally performed even by Christ, they weren't flashy, showy ways to point to himself, but to point to God. How? By healing people, by ridding people of demon possessions, by bringing people back from the dead. His miracles were all targeted at showing mercy, and we can infer that this is the same thing that the disciples are doing. Healing the sick, raising the dead, making a show of the glory and the love of God through missions work. They even went the step further, the more earthly, just as we did a few weeks ago in that very room over there. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What was God's response? Well, let's continue on. Every day. Does it say just on Sundays and Wednesdays? Does it say just on Sunday morning? Does it say just on Sunday morning during the pastor's sermon while you're at home in the couch in your pajamas? On YouTube, every day, this church gathered together for the work of ministry. They continued to meet together in the temple courts on enemy territory. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And this is the response of God to their faithfulness. This local church of Jerusalem who is nevertheless a part of the greater bride of Christ, God himself added to their number daily those who were being saved. God rewards faithfulness. So what can we glean from this? There's a pathway to outreach, and it starts with sharing love in a fallen world. We call that missions. That's displaying acts of mercy before others. And again, we call that feeding the hungry, welcoming in the stranger, providing for the impoverished, comforting and healing the sick. The first hospitals were put together by the body of Christ. The first hospices were an act of the body of Christ. This is your heritage. 
we show unbelievers that God's love is different and that it has an impact. And the fact that you're not like them is a minor miracle, an evidence that God's Holy Spirit still makes a difference today. Comforting and healing the sick, seeking justice for the oppressed. This is how we demonstrate love in a fallen world. The next step is not being afraid to proclaim that love of God, to build relationships, not just to hit people over the head with the Bible, and not just to hand them food and then not tell them about Christ if they ask you. We can't be skittish. We don't have that right, and we never have. Every time that you meet somebody that asks you what makes you different, every time that you meet somebody that asks you what does your church believe, every time that you meet somebody who is homeless from a spiritual perspective, that is a divinely given appointment written by God for you from the foundations of the world, empowered through you for the power of the Holy Spirit to give that answer so that that person might be lit, written in the Lamb's book of life and his church may grow. Think about it this way. If you invite somebody to come to church, or if you have that awkward five-minute discussion with somebody about salvation, yes, there is, the, there is the percentage possibility that they will say no. But isn't it worth the possibility that they'll say yes? Think about it another way. If you don't invite them, they're not coming to church, and worse, they're not coming to God isn't a possibility, it's a certainty. That's your appointment. That's your responsibility as the priesthood of all believers. And it comes through relationship building. We don't just hand them a hot dog and then let them go about their day. We ask them how they're doing. We make enemies into friends. We remain in contact with them. We don't just love them and then forget about them. We continue to love them. And as we continue to love them, we build up that rapport, that relationship that leads to that question, why are you different? This is how we reach and we melt the stone-hearted with love. This is how we develop relationships with kindness that foster into new brothers and sisters in the faith. This is how we open doors by presenting our own personal testimony. Look, I was in the same shape that you are. I was the fallen person. I was the self-centered person. I was the addict. I was the impoverished one. I was the person who was living in a fallen world and hated the world around him. But God made a difference in my life. And I guarantee you he can make a difference in yours as well. Opening doors with a personal testimony, melting the hearts of stone, reaching the lost with the gospel. Truth be known, all you have to remember, I know that we've trained some of you to be able to have that hard conversation, but it only really boils down to one piece of scripture, if you want to think about it this way. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, by name that he gave his only begotten son as a willing sacrifice. That whosoever believes in him, doesn't matter what you've been to in the past, it doesn't matter who you think you are, the amount of life that you have to clean up, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. 
the whole testimony of the gospel experience in one verse. And you've all proven that you know that verse. Inviting the stranger then to become part of the family of God. This is who we're called to be. So step one is the acts of mercy through mission. Step two is evangelism by proclaiming and building relationships with others. Step three, building the family through discipleship. By demonstrating that love to each other. It's very easy to go into a building like this and to feel lost in a sea of faces. Very easy to go somewhere, not know anybody, and all of a sudden, instead of looking for a seat where I can be chummy with someone else, you look for exits. It's human nature. But if somebody comes here off the street, and if they meet somebody at the door, and that somebody says, hi, my name is such and such, let me show you to a good seat. Oh, incidentally, where do you live? Oh, I know this person that lives close by you. Let me introduce you. Friendships are forged. People come together. When they see you loving on each other, they see that difference at play. What was that promise that Jesus gave to us? They will know you are my Christians, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. When they see your love, his love, excuse me, demonstrated person to person here, they know that something different is going on. If they just come somewhere and they hear an academic sermon, or they see just what amounts to an interactive concert, or they see people just kind of divorcing themselves from each other by having their own personal space in the pew and not uh, sitting like 60 miles away from the nearest person, no handshaking, and everybody bolts for KFC once the final amen is done. They see that. But if they see them hanging around, if they see that every Sunday morning is a family reunion, if they see the people of God worshiping together, lifting their voices together, praising Him together, and loving Him and loving each other, then they see a difference. Rendering a sacrifice of praise together discovering each other's giftedness and putting it into use by volunteering and working in the ministry, esteeming one another as greater than the self, not having that kind of pride that goes before destruction, but having a humble heart and a meekness that forgives one another, that embraces each other, that even if you have a last name that is different from that other person, even if you talk some way that's different from another person or look a way that's different from that other person, you still give them a holy hug and tell them, brother or sister, I love you. Regarding each other as family, that makes a difference. Paul puts it this way in his book, his, uh, his letter to the Romans. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. No difference with the races, in other words. The same Lord is Lord of all. And he richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, what? shall be saved. How then can they call upon the one they have not believed in? And how can they not believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they are sent? 
Todd McClure, a close relative of this congregation, who went on to become the, uh, the Minister for Finance and Missions for the West Virginia Baptist Convention, who was here on Wednesday, who gave a profound example of when Christ says go, He means go, when He gave His message before us. This is how Paul is identifying what's being said. If you're a priest of the Most High God, it's not just the fat guy behind the pulpit whose job it is to preach the gospel. That is the burden laid on all of you in the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world, preach to ever, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commended you. And the promise, lo, I'm within you always. I'm with you always, even into the end of the world. When he says go, two possible meanings. I love the way that Todd presented this. The first is that he, he means go. He means get out of here. Take what you've learned in the pew and go outside and proclaim it. Or the second meaning, as you are going, that no matter where you are in life, no matter if you're a teacher, if you are a worker with the state, if you are a secretary, if you are a, a person engaged with the medical community, as you are going in your life, proclaim the gospel to everyone. How? Can anyone preach unless they are sent? What Paul is basically telling you is there's no one that's going to grow in Christ if we don't take Christ to them. If you're not the hands and the feet, for it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently then, and underline this, faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing about the word of God. Someone's faith, the saving faith of Christ, comes about because somebody else shared the word of God. Guess what our job is? You are the sent one. We, all of us together, are the sent ones. We are the carriers of the saving message. We are those ministers of mercy. We are the messengers of reconciliation before people who right now hate God. 80% of West Virginia does not claim Christianity. They are what we now call in the census nuns. Let me repeat that. Eight out of every ten people that you see on the street, be it in Kroger's, be it on Walmart, be it on the bus, be it wherever you are in life, where there are ten people gathered together according to the the statistics of this recent census of those 10 people, eight of them don't go to church anywhere. Not only do they not go to church anywhere, they don't claim Christianity as a preference. Their preference is none. Now that's a radical shift because just a few years ago, if someone was just what we glibly call a creaster, meaning someone that only comes to church either Christmas or Easter, then they at least would identify on their, system, on their census as being a Christian. Now it's, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. In fact, further research shows that 40% of people uh, respond that they have a disdain for the local church and don't want to attend anywhere. How do we heal that? You're the messenger of reconciliation. 
you have one weapon, but it's a powerful weapon. And many times you'll only have one ally, but he's a strong ally. Your weapon is love. How do you break down the heart of stone? How do you solve church hurt? How do you end the conflict between people who should be in the body of Christ and aren't? You do it by loving them, by not fearing that conversation, by living up to your ministry, and by doing what we are commanded to do. Love one another. Love thy neighbor. Love God. Be the hands and the feet of Christ. I'll move through this really quickly because this is the problem with the church right now, I think. And I'm not talking about Highline specifically. I'm talking about the capital C church. This idea that somebody else will do it. I don't have to do it. It's not my place to do it wrong on all counts. James tells us, Listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into this city or that, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Those who, in other words, eh, at some point in time. Why, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist, a vapor that appears for but a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You have those divine appointments. You have to meet them. As it is, you boasting in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then, James 4, 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is what? I'm sorry? Did I suddenly wake up in a Presbyterian church? It is what? It is sin. For anyone who meets that appointment, the person is standing right there. They don't know Christ. They need Him. Their soul is condemned without Him. Your job is to meet that appointment. Someone is starving on the street. Someone who is a potential brother or sister in Christ, barring that someone who's made in God's image. What is our role? We meet the need. For anyone who knows what it is right to do and does it not to him, it is reckoned as sin. It's not my job. For a Christian, that's dereliction of duty. Be always willing to give an account of the hope that is within you. Maybe sometime later, that's the sin of procrastination. In some churches, that's called slothfulness. James 4.17, we just went over that. For anyone that knows what is done to do, for anyone who knows what is good and doesn't do it to that person, it is regarded as sin. I'm not prepared. Ultimately, the person that you're doubting isn't yourself. It's doubting God because God has given you the promise through John 14 that you are empowered with the Holy Spirit of God who will teach you all things and call to your remembrance all that He has taught us. And not only that, in verse 27, He gives this promise to, My peace I leave with you. Not the world's peace that can be so easily taken away, but my peace I give you, a peace that cannot be taken away. 
So you've got two promises of God that says you're always prepared. Especially if you've done the extra legwork. The first component of that, simply put, is that the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, resides within you and will teach you precisely what you have to do and what, have, what you have to say. Secondly, God's peace is there to sustain you through the weirdness of that conversation. So when you say, I'm not prepared, what you're really saying is that God hasn't prepared me. Let me ask you something. How many of you have ever, has God ever failed? Exactly. He who has begun a good work within you will draw it unto completion. He hasn't failed you before. He will not fail you now. I'm afraid. The military, that would be called cowardice. Romans 8, 38 and 39, my favorite passage of Scripture. What shall we say to these things? For I am convinced that neither angels, well, excuse me, I'm, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing we have to fear. No matter the circumstances, no matter the confrontation, nothing is there that we have to fear. Let me close. What I want to talk to you about now, really briefly, is the tale of two churches. One church is partially faithful. The other one is fully faithful. Now, if you've been following with me in the book of Revelation study, you'll know that at the very beginning, there is probably the most precious passage of Scripture for Christians living in the world today. They are epistles from Jesus Christ himself, letters that he gives to seven local churches that are basically report cards. These you are doing right. This is what you're doing wrong. This is my promise to those of you who overcome. Now, two churches he has nothing good to say about. Two churches he has nothing bad to say about. The rest of them, for the most part, are mixed. You're getting some things right, but there's still this one thing that's holding you back. And that's the case with this first church, the church of Ephesus. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Remember, each lampstand represents the church itself. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for thy name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. Words you never want to have written about you, especially from the Savior himself. You have forsaken the love you had at first. When you were first formed, you were a loving congregation. You lived out that agape, that self-sacrificing love. The love of God, the love of the neighbor, the love of each other. But you have fallen from that. You have forsaken that love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, this is a warning that he gives to that church. 
I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. I will dig up your church from its root and I will put one that will serve me in its place. That's what he's effectively saying here. Ephesus, the word itself, means my darling one. This is a church that endured hardships and persecution. It's one that was active in justice and evangelism at one time. It was also active in intellectual discipleship, and that seems to be where they've kind of fallen into a rut now. It helped valiantly to faith in hardship, but it became program-driven instead of spirit-driven. God wasn't in charge anymore. It was all about doctrine and not about devotion. They were so busy doing the work of the kingdom that they had no time for the king. It became internal focused, not mission focused. It became all about discipline, but not about fellowship. You lost the love you had at first. Let's look at another church. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have but a little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You're a small church, but you've lasted. And even though the barbarians are at the gates, you still claim the name of Christ. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, the enemies within you, in other words, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my commandment to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world and test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown those who are victorious, to the overcomers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them a new name. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Philadelphia literally means brotherly love. So this is a church that loves each other. It's a church under internal and external persecution. It's small in number. It has but a few people. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are made strong. It's remained active in loving others and loving each other. And Christ is offering more missions up. I am opening a door that no one can shut for you. These are opportunities to do missions work, to keep growing. And not just to keep growing yourself. We don't care about putting butts in pews. We care about putting names in the Lamb's book of life. You will be rewarded for your faithfulness. What would Christ write to Hylon? What is our love that we had at first? 74 years ago. The members of a Sunday school class saw that there was a bustling neighborhood coming up in an undeveloped area of the city of St. Albans. No Christian influence. 
but they had a heart for these people. So they went out on a limb and they gave and they walked around and they got to know their neighbors. They hired a pastor through a loan that they got through the West Virginia Baptist Convention. And that pastor did likewise. Every time there was a funeral, every time there was someone sick, every time there was someone in need, he was there. And the members were there too. And little by little by little, they went from meeting and loving each other in someone's living room to meeting and loving each other in a movie theater. And they outgrew that. And a lot of people gave and gave and gave. And as their giving increased, as they saw, had all things in common, as the Bible said from the book of Acts, do you know your own story? As they gave, as they loved, as they continued building relationships, reaching out to people that were strangers to them, people that were moving here, even in some cases from Greece, from Italy, from England. Strangers that came together as one body of believers. And they outgrew even their first sanctuary until they gathered together and they realized the glorious opportunity of reaching even more people. Some of you here are related to those who mortgaged or remortgaged their homes. Build this to pay for the pews that you sit in right now. Leaders of Highlawn Baptist Church, as you consider next year, as we start putting pen to paper on what we're going to do and when we're going to do it, I challenge you, remember the love you had at first. Who you are, what your mission is, and the means by which to get it accomplished. To know Christ and to make Christ known. And all God's people said. So Heavenly Father, as the service of the word comes to its conclusion, and as we move into the time of invitation, Lord, I ask that you would trouble the hearts of those within the sound of my voice that you would reignite a revival and a fervor to put off the self and to put on Christ. To go to teach, to love. To love you with everything that we are. To love everyone who is made in your image. To love each other as a family as you've called us to do. Lord, if there are any within the sound of my voice that have yet to know you in that very free pardon of sin, who have yet to experience your love firsthand, who might be aware of you academically but don't know you personally, who have that relationship with you, I ask that you would bring them forward as we sing so that another name may be written before it is everlastingly too late. What a beautiful day it would be to be the day of someone's salvation. And for those... Lord, that are struggling with a call that you've placed on their life, a place that they need to be, a place that you are equipping them to be. Lord, let them surrender to that call and come forward. And for those that just simply need a touch of the Master's hand, 
with a burden that has been weighing on their hearts. Bring them and let them know the fullness of your embrace now. For all these things, Lord, we dedicate this time and ourselves into your hands without any reservation. Use us to bring the message of Christ to this world and to bring glory to your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person. To contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.